Welcome to the Pearl Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message blesses you in a way that is inspiring, encouraging, and transformational. For more information about our church, please visit thepearl.church. We hope you enjoy this message. I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, we're in a series called Church. And the reason I call it church is because it's simple. When I can't come up with a name, I just call it what it is, right? The church series calls church. The men's ministry is called men. Let's go, okay? Um, there, is a, there is a kind of church in the Bible that, that Scripture clearly lays out. So when people build church, it doesn't matter what denomination, what group of churches, there's a pattern in Scripture that we build the church by because the Bible says that Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If you want to see the gates of hell ravage a church, build it your own way. Don't build it according to scripture. Go down and buy the book off the Christian bookstore shelf if there's any of those left. Download it, I guess. Get a philosophy and build a church on a philosophy and see how long a church built on philosophy lasts. Because church is built on philosophy, that's like what I think. That's how I see it. If I was you, I wouldn't care too much about what Pastor Doug thinks or what he sees. I would care about what the Bible says and does the leadership align with Scripture. This is how church is supposed to be built. We see it in the life of Jesus. We see it in Jesus when he chooses the, the, the apostles and the disciples and he begins to prophesy about the church and he chooses Peter. And then Peter comes in in Acts chapter 2 and he begins to preach and the church grows by 3,000 people just in one day. But they only, always remember when you see a number in the New Testament, they're only counting the men. So 3,000 is more like nine or 10 or 12,000 depending on how many kids they have, right? When he feeds the 5,000 with the loaves and the fish, it's not 5,000, it's more like 25,000 or 30,000 people. The miracles get bigger when you understand the context. So he's building the church. Jesus builds the church. Peter launches the church with a, a great sermon in Acts chapter 2. The church begins to grow. And within 56 years, the church had reached the entire known world at that time. And uh, man, house churches were exploding in the revolution. Jesus' revival was on. And you and I are actually the recipient of that today. We are a part of Peter's very first sermon. We're the result of the very, first, the very first message that was ever given from the balcony at the upper room. So there's a, there's a way that we're supposed to build church. Now, I've done a couple of messages already just for review. The first one was called uh, Galaxies and Governments. And the idea is that the church is not a peripheral thing to what is happening in the world. It is central. The, the world is peripheral to the church. The church is the greatest institution on planet earth. There's nothing more powerful. There's nothing more influential. There's nothing that, that takes, uh, takes more oxygen out of the room when it decides to do something great in, in the name of God, whether it's to serve the community, help after a hurricane, or, or transform a city. It's the church. The church can transform a government. The church can turn a nation around. You go back 30, 40 years, there are some African nations that were less than 2% Christian. Today, some are more than 60% Christian. The church goes in after wars. The church moves in. I remember when the church moved into Romania after Ceausescu, the, the, um, the, the evil dictator, was killed. And some of our people were there on a missions trip during that season. We sent two or three teams. And immediately, the, the world, their world was flooded with new churches and pa pastors. And now there's churches all over the country. You, you know, when God comes in and begins to move, the world can't really stop it. 
What happens is God has a plan and his, his plan's not going to be thwarted and the church is not peripheral to the, what the world is doing. The world is just part of his story. History is his story. It's not yours or mine. It's the story of God and how he brings Jesus to the entire planet in, in as fast as possible. We want everyone to know Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Okay. And then we talked about being fitted. We talked about Jesus is the cornerstone. Everything begins with Jesus and we build on Jesus. If we build on anything else, the wall looks crooked because he's the cornerstone. And so then I put four stones up here, four different blocks that are the four core values that our church is built on. It was knowing God, discover purpose, build community, and live generously. I'm going to read it again because you'll hear this a lot in the next year. Our four core values are to know God, that's first, then discover purpose. Why were you created the way you were created? And how does God want to fill his vessel? What does he want to use? Build community. This is what we're having today. And then live generously because generosity uh, was the spark of all of this when God gave his son. So galaxies and governments fitted. Last week I talked about the crowd. The crowd is this group of people that pressed into Jesus. I, I could say it like this. It's one thing to just go to church, but when we talk about discipleship, God wants us to make disciples. He doesn't want us to just fill seats. God says, I want to, so the discipleship group in the New Testament is called the crowd. There is a multitude that follows Jesus everywhere and they get blessed because they follow Jesus. Because they're in the, in the crowd at the moment, they might get healed, but it doesn't mean that they end up having a relationship with him. The Bible's pretty clear that everybody got blessed because they were there, but they didn't all become disciples. But then there was this group of people, right, that always pressed into Jesus so hard that he couldn't even walk. He was bumped in the crowd. He had to get into boats and preach from the water because they pushed him into the water. There were so many people. They were always asking questions. And you know, you know, Peter, the apostle Peter, if you don't know this, Peter was always asking the wrong question at the wrong time. But if you're Jesus, it was the right question at the right time because God knows what's happening in his disciples even when we don't. God knew what was happening inside of Peter and God knew that Peter was gonna be the guy who launched the new church or the New Testament church. So when Peter's asking these crazy questions, Jesus is just preparing him, just getting them ready. And everybody else gets to hear Jesus deal with Peter. Because Peter didn't know who was, didn't care who was listening, didn't care who was in the room. I'm going to ask a dumb question. Jesus, who gets to sit at your right hand when we take over the world? And Jesus just bap, 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 just humble, humble, humble. So, so there's a crowd. The crowd is, is a church that, that wants to be discipled. We want to be discipled. I want to be discipled. I don't want to just go to church. I want to learn about who God is and what he's done in my life. And I want to know how I'm supposed to take that and use it in my life to bring glory to his name. I have to grow. I have to be healthy. I have to eat the right food. So, but today I want to talk quickly. I only have a couple of minutes left here. I'll try to do this. But I want to talk about uh, something that I call fuel. Fuel. A church that has fuel. The church that has what you, what you need when you need it, but it's not us, it's Jesus. This is what fuel means to me. Jesus gives us the fuel that we need to face every challenge, accomplish the plans he has for us, and to selflessly and generously serve others according to his will. 
That is a huge statement because it's hard. Our challenges are difficult. His plans are kind of bigger than what we get sometimes. And how many of you know it's just hard sometimes to serve other people? There's a reason why I like to go to restaurants. Because I want someone else to bring me my food. And if I don't like it, this is the only time I ever have any authority in my life. I get to send it back. Bring it to me again. There's something inside of us that it's hard to serve. But God gives us everything that we need when we need it. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 now. I want you to look at this verse with me. And God is able to make all grace. Now I want you to say this. Say all grace. All grace. Not a little bit of grace. Not just barely enough grace. But all grace. It's a huge statement. It means that everything that Jesus did is available to us. All grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Now check that verse out. All sufficiency in all things at all times. You may abound in every good work. What Paul was doing here is he, he didn't want to leave anything out. He wanted us to understand that when we have all grace, that we can be sufficient. Now, in the Greek, the word sufficient means something. It's a really long Greek word. Any of you have ever done any Greek? Some words, some words that should be little are really long. So I won't get into the, the spelling, but it means this. It means exactly what you need. All sufficiency, exactly what you need. So God knows that through his grace, he knows exactly what you need. And when you need it. So having all sufficiency in all things. In other words, it doesn't matter what the problem is or what the situation is. You don't have a thing that Jesus doesn't have an answer for. Like there's nothing going on in your life that Jesus can't help you with. Like you can't come up with one. Well, Jesus has never seen my problems. You're right. God has never seen that before. So it's all things. So all sufficiency, exactly what you need, all things at all times. At all times, in the moment that you need it. You ever notice that, that sometimes when you don't think something is going to happen, God just shows up and does it anyways? See, God's timing is not your timing. And the understanding of timing is one of the greatest discipleship tools that God has in the Bible. Because what you think is your time to God may not be your time. But he might want you to be frustrated in your time to develop some character in you that might be right for his time. Or... He, he just has a plan that's so much bigger than us. He knows exactly what you need, when you need it. But then you have this, this word in, in our English that says abound. This is another incredible Greek word because it doesn't actually mean just abound. Like it's going to be great. Like we, we're abounding. We have a bounty of something. That word abound, actually when you read it in the original language, you almost have to take another word and put right in front of it. So it's one of these words that kind of has two Greek words to make one English word. So um, uh, abound can mean bounty, but the other half means super. A super bounty. Super abound. God is not just, this is what you have, what you need, when you need it. This is not a minimum statement. This is not about what is the minimum this is, God says you can have all that you need to take you beyond the maximum. It's not a minimum. He's not saying God's going to give you just barely enough. 
so that you just barely make it. So that every day you can just feel like I'm barely hanging on. No, God gives you a super abound. He gives you more than you could need. He goes beyond the maximum. He takes you to someplace that you could never go on your own. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Let me, let me talk about this word, this fuel word, right? Uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you're going to be witnesses for me. Many of you have heard this verse. It's one of the key verses in the New Testament. God says he's going to give you the fuel, the power that you need to build the church around the world. That's what this verse says. But this, this word power in the Greek, you've, many of you have heard of, it, heard of it like this. You've heard the word dunamis, perhaps. It means power. But the form of this word is dynamin. It's actually the, where we get the word dynamite. It means super explosive power that is surprising. It's like a surprise super amount of power. The word power is the word dynamite. It's used 120 times in the New Testament. And it means to have fuel. It's where we get the word dynamite. Sometimes God wants you to understand that when you don't have the answer, when you step out in faith, God won't come in and give you the minimum. He's going to give you the fuel. He's going to explode onto your scene and help you to do something that you can't do without him. Amen. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, I remember I was like 10 years old and some young adult in my town gave me my first M80. If you don't know what an M80 is, it's like a, it's like a, I don't know, like an eighth of a stick of dynamite or something. And we, we were so, having so fun with our little black cats, our little firecrackers. And then some young adult thought it'd be funny to give a 10-year-old uh, ADHD kid an M80. And I was like, look at the size of this thing. This is amazing. This isn't going to go bang. It's going to go bang. So I took it out with one of my buddies, and we got one of those plastic milk cartons. We put it on the inside of the milk carton, put the cap pack on. We, so we lit it, put the cap on, and threw it out into the alley behind my house. I was expecting bang. But instead, what I got was a noise that was so loud, neighbors came running out of their house. <laughs> because you're not supposed to put them in, like, containers because that's like a bomb, and, and the pressure just went blew. It blew us over. We were about 20 feet away. It blew us over. We got up. We were like, yeah. <laughs> 10 years old, right? Let's go buy another one, you know. We go running over to the milk carton, and it's gone. Gone. We're like, it's gone. We looked all over the, we couldn't find a piece of plastic. We couldn't find the lid. We couldn't find, it was gone. It was dynamite. Some of you, when you approach your issues, you don't understand that God has such a powerful, a dunamis, a dynamite for you. You approach your, your problems with a little black cat. God wants to give you an M80. He wants you to be surprised. He wants you to be surprised at how powerful that he is when you need him. But what kind of God are we, do we view God as? Are we like, oh, he's all right, he's okay. He does what he wants once in a while. I'm kind of fatalistic, but I believe he's in heaven. Uh, you know, no, 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 no. God says, I am going to give you dynamite. 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you so that you can do mighty things, super abundant, beyond the excess, beyond the maximum in the world. This is the mindset that we have to have, have as Christians. Now, let me give you three things quickly. Number one, there are three groups of people or three categories of where God's power works. The first one is, is humanity. It's the power of his resurrection. Philippians 3, verse 10, Paul writes, I want to know Christ. I don't want to know the church. I don't, I don't want to know like what... You know what the other guys are doing right now? And they're, I want to know Christ. I don't want philosophy. I don't want opinion. I don't want culture. I don't, I don't want to talk about, you know, leadership dynamics. I don't care. I want to know Christ. And the reason is because Christ resurrected and there's nothing like his power. Jesus' power when he resurrected was enough for all of humanity. Think about it. Not just for one person, but for all of humanity. Every man, woman, and child that will ever be born, he has enough fuel for every person that will ever live. I, I grew up in Oregon where there's lots of um, water. And for everyone in the Spanish translation, agua. Lots of agua. The rain falls all the time. The rain fills the streams. The streams fill the rivers. And our rivers are the ones that flow into the ocean, so they're the biggest. I live right next to the Columbia River. If you've ever heard of the Columbia, it's one of the largest rivers in the world, one of the largest in North America, flows all the way up into Canada. There are places on the Columbia River that are so vast, I used to think they were the ocean until somebody corrected me. But it's not. That's just how big it is in that area, just like a mile or two, three, four miles across. It's just a river. And on that river near our home, where we used to just go hang out, was a dam called the Bonneville Dam. The Bonneville Dam is one of the biggest dams in the world. It has two sides to it, and the water flows through the dam, and it creates power. You see, there's a, there is a, a kind of power that we want to tap into with God. Um, it's not wind power, because the wind can die down. It's not solar power, because the, because the sun can go down, but the river always flows. And that's why the Bible is filled with rivers from beginning to end. Even in, in Revelation, you have another river uh, in, in the new heavens and new earth. There's a new river that has life all around because the river always flows. I want, I want God's power in my life for humanity. If he's going to take care of all of humanity, he can't have a, a, a South Plot Denver River. We call that a creek where I come from. Rivers have so much power that they can create electricity for entire swaths of the United States of America. They make so much power that other states and other parts and even other countries, they buy it from because the water just never stops flowing. The, uh, the, the dam I'm talking about, um, there's two powerhouses. One of them in the first powerhouse, 96,667 gallons of water go through it every second. That's enough to have a 3,000 square foot, three bedroom home filled every second. 3,000 square feet home full of water every second. That's the kind of power that humanity needs. This is how powerful God is. He comes in. He doesn't come in and go, you need me? Sprinkle. 
You know what? Do you know what Psalm, Psalm 65 verse 9, I love this. Psalm 65 verse 9 says this. The river of God is always full. This is, this is the kind of Jesus that we serve. You're never, you're never going to have a moment where you're going to approach Jesus and he's empty. He has power for you. Water is powerful. It, it can move mountains. Water can change directions. It can divide continents. Water is powerful and it never stops. Number two is the church. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 for a second. The power of God in the Great Commission says this. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably, immeasurably, super abundant, immeasurably more than we could ask or we could imagine, according to his dynamon, his power, his dynamon that is working within us. So the power to build what God is building is, is in us. It's Jesus in us. It's what he's doing in us. Because when he gets in us, we become immeasurably people. I am a measurable person without Jesus. I get tired. People come to my house. They party. They hang out. My wife's looking at me like, when are they going to leave? Don't be offended. We love you all. And I just look at her, and we have a language in our marriage. It's like women have your language. You don't have to talk, and you just understand each other. Donna and I have that. This is what it sounds like. When are they going to leave, honey? <laughs> here's, here's my reply. doesn't matter. I'm going to bed anyways. <laughs> All right, everybody. I'll see you guys. Uh, and, and, and then, and then her, in her eyes, I can hear, don't you dare. Don't do it. Don't, don't you leave me down here. But don't, and I just go to bed and go to sleep. Because my, my energy is measurable. I went on a bike ride around I went on a bike ride around Wash Park. I rented one of those cart things. You know when you see those red cute little carts, those little four-seaters going around Wash Park, when you have a family, you know what you do? You go, oh, that looks like so much fun. Let's, honey, let's spend $900 for 10 minutes and let's, let's, take a little, let's take a little cart ride around Wash Park with our family and do a selfie and everything. It'd be really fun. And you see them going by, they look so cute. They got little water bottles. They're just kind of, people are just, it's all a lie. <laughs> not even, I kid you not. We went and rented one of these things. We, we took out, well, first we took out a mortgage on our house. <laughs> second mortgage. And then we went and rented a bike. And we get in this thing. And the guy pushes it out. We put our water bottles there. And uh, I'm like, here we go. <laughs> I put my feet on the pedal and I went, Rawr! I was like, is something wrong? Is this broken? He's like, nope. And I start pushing this thing, man. And I'm like, why did it look so easy when I was in my car? <laughs> so I start pedaling this thing. And now I know why people got their water bottles. Because they're just like, you know. <laughs> they're just. And then people go by. They go, hi. <laughs> just like this. We get halfway around Wash Park. I can't. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm finished. My, my, my legs are gone. I can't pedal anymore. It's not cute. And I have to lie to my children. Hey, kids, why don't we just take a break? Do you guys want to see the ducks? I remember saying this. I really said this. They were little then. I'm like, do you guys want to see the ducks? They're like, yeah, daddy, let's see the ducks. Kaylee tested, jump out. They start chasing ducks. And I just lay down, pour water in my face. I'm like, babe, I can't pedal this thing around with four people in it. 
I'm measurable. I have a measurable amount of energy. But what this says is that when God is working within us, according to his will, we become immeasurable people. You will, you will not become weary in well-doing. You will walk and you will not faint. You will run, you will not be weary. You will be an immeasurable person. God, God wants us to have the fuel to accomplish everything that he's asked us to accomplish. And this is one of the only places where Paul writes about the next generation. He says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations. If we build the right way, we're not a one-generation church. If we build the, right, build the right way, it's two generations, three generations. The Lord tarries. I can be up in heaven cheering you on. Hebrews in the grandstand saying, let's go. Let's go. The next pastor of this church is probably over in Busy Bears right now. Biting the teacher. I won't be here, but I can believe if we build the right way on the right fuel and we have vision and passion and health and security and we know exactly what God says about building his church, then little Johnny over in Busy Bear, as he grows and I depart, he's going to have the fuel in his life to be a world changer in his generation. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, and the last one is the person, the power to restore. And this, has, this is just a story of the woman with the issue of blood and um, and she touches Jesus's garment. There's a crowd. Jesus is getting bumped all over. There's so many people bumping him. He doesn't even know what to do. The apostles are like bodyguarding him and pushing people away. He's just, he's trying to get through the crowd. And then one lady who's been sick for 12 years and she has no family. She has no friends. She's completely rejected. She's, she's got no hope. She thinks she's going to die. She sees Jesus coming. And she goes, you know what? If I can just touch touch his garment, I believe he will heal me. So the, the, the worst of the worst, the destitute of the destitute, pushes through the crowd. She, she, she's getting in between the people, in between their legs. She's sick, she's tired, and she just touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus goes, wait a minute. You ever wonder how Jesus knew that, all, that with everybody bumping him and shoving him and pushing him, that one lady just touches his clothing. He goes, wait a minute. And he says to the crowd, hey, who touched me? And the disciples are like, uh, Jesus, everybody's pushing you right now. They're bumping you. They're slapping you. You're, you're getting hurt. You're bruised. We can't keep them away. How can you say who touched me? And he goes, because dynamite went out of me. Something went out of me. And you know what? How many of you know he was God? He knew who it was. He wasn't confused. He was asking so that all the religious people would have to figure it out. Who touched me? And they're like, Jesus, everybody touched you. He said, no, somebody drew power from me. Who do you think it is? And they look down and they see this woman who's been sick for 12 years. Her body is failing. She's, she's got no family, no friends. She's rejected in the community. And then all of a sudden, she is completely restored. Her body is healed. And when God restores us, he doesn't just restore us physically. He restores, can you imagine her journey? Can you imagine? He restores her emotionally. He restores her in the community. He restores her with her family, with her friends. Jesus comes along. And who touched me? All I know, listen, I found out a long time ago, I want to be one of the who. Who touched me? I did. Who did that? Me. 
Who, need, who, who touched me? Who took dynamite from me? It was me all day. I'm a mess. I want to be in the who crowd. I want to be, I want, I want to be drawing dynamite from Jesus 365 days a year. Because I can't do what he's called me to do without him and neither can you. Jesus touches humanity. Jesus fills the church. But Jesus comes right down here and he touches me. And he touches you. This morning, you're listening to me preach. Some of you are visiting for the first time. and Some of you are going through things that none of us can imagine. I want to ask you a question today. Listen to me. And I know I'm at the end. I know we got to take an offering. But how many of you know Jesus owns the cattle on a thousand hill? Well, it'll, it'll be fine. It'll be, it'll be okay, everybody. Good to see you. Is that Bree? Oh, it's my daughter. Keep playing. You're right on time. Here we go. That was from last week. Some of you here are so, you're, you're one of the who. You're like, you're trying to reach him. You're trying to touch the hem of his garment. You don't even care if he has a conversation with you. You just need dynamite in your spirit. You are such a mess. It's finances, it's relationships, it's marriage, it's children, it's grandchildren, it's, it's where you're at, it's your desperate need. I want to be in that group of people and I want Jesus to be saying about me, who touched me? I'm going to be like, I did, Jesus. I did, and I'm going to do it again tomorrow. When I get up tomorrow, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to grab your shirt. This morning, for all anyone here, if, if you need the power of God to help you, if you're in a spot, you know that God's doing something in here. You know that you can't do it by yourself. When I count to three, I want you to, do, I want you to be like that woman. I want you to pass. I want you to get through the crowd. I, I want you to, to not worry about who's watching. I mean, you think about it. You just, absolutely, who cares? Do you think she cared? Do you think that one of the apostles stood up in that moment and said, hey, everybody, everyone who's bumping Jesus right now, please close your eyes. There's a desperate woman who's going to crawl on the ground in between your feet, and she's going to try to touch the hem of his garment, okay? Nobody look, because we don't want to embarrass her. Do you really think she cared? She was shoving people. She's moving people. I'm just trying to say to you that Jesus, Jesus has a dynamite for you. He has something for you. When I count the three, if you need Jesus in your life today, you know you've got an area where he's got to enter into. When I count the three, stand to your feet. One, two, three. Let's go. I want to pray for you. Come on. God's got a plan for you. Come on, church. Clap for him. Come on. This is good. God's got a plan. Father. Come on, lift your hands to Jesus. Come on, put your hands up to Jesus. All of you, all of you right now that stood up, put your hands to Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person that is standing here in this place. I thank you, Father, that they are a son and a daughter of the Most High God. I thank you, Jesus, that your promises, the Bible says, are yes, not no. I pray, Father, that you'd come today and that you'd fuel them. You're going to give them what they need, when they need it as much as they need to fulfill the purposes of God. And in our most desperate moment, you show up. And not with a little bit of water. Jesus, you show up and you fill the whole house every second of every day. Lord, we love you today. I want the whole church to pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, here I am. Fill me up. I give you everything. I need you so bad. I hear your voice. I see you over there, and I'm reaching out, and I'm touching you, and I am receiving what I need, what I need. Come on, say it. What I need. 
in Jesus' name. Come on, right now, in this place, Lord Jesus, be my fuel, in Jesus' name. Now, come on, let's sing a song. Somebody clap for Jesus. I believe that for every one of you. Come on.